Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the March 10th episode of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to describe challenges to vaccine distribution in clinical practice. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He will be interviewing Dr. Christian Hermanson, Managing Physician at Family Medicine Downtown and Ambulatory Clinical Director at the LGHP Family Medicine Residency Program. I'd like to thank both of you for your time today. Thanks for joining. Yeah, thank you, Faith, and delighted to have Dr. Hermanson here, who uh, topic today is going to be vaccines and distribution. And of course, this is in the newspapers uh, so frequently. And um, uh, at Johns Hopkins, I've been sitting on our scarcity committee. So the sort of ethical uh, distribution and, and also the operations of distributing vaccines have really taken up a lot of uh, thought to try to do this correctly. And of course, things seem to change day by day. Uh, but uh, the good news is more people are being immunized. But I thought we might take a step back uh, even to December and uh, early January with Dr. Hermanson and uh, tell us a little bit more uh, about what you were doing with vaccines and your role as uh, uh, family medicine uh, residency director and, and also because of your larger role with the family practice there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Right. So thank you for having me today. I, I, I think I should just introduce that at Lancaster General, we have an unopposed family medicine residency program of which I'm one of the faculty members. And we have 39 residents within the program, so it makes it one of the largest ones in the country, 13 residents a year. Plus, we have about 17 faculty members and a number of APCs that help staff the practice. Um, the practice is in the urban setting of Lancaster. We have about not, a little over 9,000 patients in the practice. 70% are Medicaid, and a lot of them uh, come from multicultural background, so um, many don't have English as their first language. Interestingly, the way the office is scheduled is that the resident schedule is based on the inpatient rotation. So they're not consecutively there every certain half day. Um, it could be, it's relatively random when they happen to have office hours, which allows them to get a breadth of different patients on their schedule. Um, now with 50 doctors seeing patients at the same time, we've been really working on socially distancing patients because you can't have everybody show up at the same time. Um, so we've been trying to do telemedicine visits um, and um, unfortunately, the residents' um, encounters for their accrediting body do not count telemedicine for their visits. So if they haven't needed a physical examination, we've been trying to do tele telemedicine, but mostly that's with the faculty patients. And then we had to figure out how to distribute the vaccine. We had some whispers that we would get some vaccine. Some might go to the health system. Some might go to practices. In Pennsylvania, it's gone to almost 
all sorts of different entities, including in pediatrician offices, pharmacies, all over the place. So we kind of heard we might get some vaccine. Um, and around November, December, we knew that we we're gonna get some for the health system. And the focus for that was mostly making sure that the um, employees of the health system were getting vaccinated first. And they risk stratify the employees based on their role. So if you were in the inpatient setting, if you were in the ICU, um, if you're in the hospital setting or the ER, you were going to get your vaccine first. And then eventually employees at practices or um, in more of the remote uh, sections of the health system would get their vaccine. Around the same time, we got some word from the Department of Health that practices would be getting vaccine. And there was a very specific email survey that you had to complete in order to potentially get vaccine. But then you wouldn't really know if they would honor that request. You wouldn't know when they were sending it. There was no tracking number. Um, to when you would get it. So you kind of had to always kind of make sure your office was open because you didn't want to get vaccine on the day you were closed and then it go to waste. Um, so uh, we did eventually get some um, vaccine and we were initially given the edict of trying to get our patients above 75 vaccinated as much as possible. But we would want to do this during office visits because there's a 15 minute waiting period anytime you give a vaccine. Well, unfortunately our providers as I explained before, aren't there every day. So you could do the office visit vaccine maybe for the first shot, but they wouldn't be available to see their provider on um, for the second shot. And we got Moderna, so it was 28 days later, where some Pfizer mostly went to employees. So we had to try and figure out when we would try and give the vaccine at a time where we could give enough doses during a, a morning session that would at least have 10 patients on it because each vial has 10 doses in it and try and give it within six hours, knowing that unfortunately we have about anywhere, depending on the weather, a 12 to 25% no-show rate. So we could plan to give that vaccine, but if that patient doesn't show, we better go find somebody else who needs it before we waste a dose. Now, luckily we have not wasted any doses thus far, which has been great, um, but we've been slowly ramping up how many shots you can give a day with the staffing you have, the FEMLAs that you're incorporating, who's there that day, what patients are there, and then have expanded that through the full 1A criteria to now hitting anybody 16 and above with a chronic condition more um, than a 65 and 75 year old population. So it's definitely been a challenge every day as the workflow seems to change every day, which is quite honestly what we saw in March and April with COVID. When we had more hospitalizations and positive cases, we've had to redo our schedules, our testing facilities, our, you know, how we operate every day, as everyone else has been impacted similarly in the pandemic. Yeah, I, you know, I think you faced so many of the same uh, uh, logistical issues and trying to satisfy uh, people who obviously desire the vaccine, certainly medical uh, personnel and so on wanted it early on, and that generally rolled out pretty well, although uh, I will tell you, sometimes uh, residents and interns who are younger uh, didn't quite get it at the same time as older physicians. They felt like they could have gotten a little bit of a short trip there. But uh, how do you, so given all these issues and it's changing so much, there's two people that I think uh, it's very hard to try to keep up to date. I mean, you may be in charge, you may be right at that nexus of trying to figure out how to do all this administration, but how are you communicating with your vaccine administrators? Uh, meaning, you know, I don't know if you have certified nursing uh, assistants or nurses or even the, the, the personnel. And then how do you communicate with your patients? 
uh, to let them know, because I think this is, this, I get endless questions. Well, thankfully, we had a pretty robust huddle system within our organization where each practice would have a huddle, each region would have a huddle, and then the whole outpatient health system had a huddle, and everything would escalate or, or go up and down that chain of command on a regular basis regarding communication. So we could communicate how many vaccines we had that day, how many vaccinations we plan to give that week, how many we expected to get uh, based on our orders, how many second doses we would have. And that communication has been very critical as it's come to second doses because we actually, as a health system, had 5,000 doses sitting in Kentucky during the ice storm and we weren't able to get that. So we had to figure the communication between our nursing supervisors and our physician leaders and then our administrators actually has been very, very good. And luckily we had that in place prior to the pandemic. As far as communicating to patients, I do still feel like the patients feel that their doctor is their source of truth. With everything going on in the news and in the media, you know, is this a safe vaccine? Would you get it if you were, you know, offered it? Um, and I think giving that regular source of truth to the patients while they're here has been beneficial. While we haven't had enough doses to give everyone their vaccine at the time that they have an office visit, we've encouraged providers to talk about the vaccine and say, hey, you know, should we get a supply? Would you be willing to get it and answer any questions or deal with any misinformation that they may be hearing about the vaccine at that time, because that's what they trust to be the source of truth. Yeah, so uh, is this something where you feel that uh, telephone calls, I completely agree with you, physicians, you know, I think it's someone you trust, you know, is really helpful for people that might be hesitant on the fence or, or in the wait and see category. And as there's more and more experience, people move along. Um, or do you find most of this is electronic communications now? Do most of your patients use patient portals? Um, do you think any of the kind of forward-facing information from websites and so on, do they really help? Because I think we put a lot of energy into those, yet at the end of the day, I get the sense, because I do some primary care and I'm an infectious diseases consultant, I, you know, I'm getting 10 to 20 questions every day. Uh, from my uh, from patients about uh, some with very good questions, but I, I just think it's hard to be uh, responsive with this new process. Yeah, I think there, you have to have a mix of those options for patients because some people may really plug into the patient portal, and others, you know, if the patient portal is only in one language, you're going to miss a whole population of patients who can't use that. Um, so I think some people respond to that. We ha we've used our patient portal to try and be proactive, knowing that as the media says vaccines are coming and they think that we have the vaccine, we need to communicate that we actually don't have as many doses as you may think. So don't call us all the time. Calling will not get you on some kind of special list. We go to this website. This is where the source of truth for our health system would be. But even though that health system um, has information has been beneficial, people still wanna hear it from their PCP. So as much as we can, we try and allow for that time to answer those questions. Some people just don't have any questions and are willing to take it. Some have a lot of questions and may not be willing to take it. We, we have seen some difficulties in certain populations in their acceptance of the vaccine, but we've been trying to dispel myths and show um, providers and others getting the vaccine so they can see it's safe. Yeah, so in your health system, uh, we've all faced scarcity. I mean, we just don't have enough doses for our patients. Right. And I think there is this expectation that your doctor's office should have the vaccine. That's where we've gotten vaccines. Or maybe your, your pharmacy, because so many people now, especially the Medicare population, they can only get their tetanus shot in a pharmacy. Uh, 
Right. Uh, we're not allowed to give it anymore. Right. So it's sort of interesting, some of these messages. Well, you know, one thing um, regarding that the idea that PCP practice should have the vaccine, that is not like any other vaccine. When you get a flu shot, it's in your arm and you're out. Where here, I have to watch it for 15 minutes. I got to schedule your second dose. I got to make sure you're, you know, okay with it. We, we're also, we're going through a process, which we're not doing as much now, but we were going through a process before of, have you had COVID within the past three months? Because maybe you have enough resistance right now and we should be giving that dose that's scarce to somebody else. Yeah. So, you know, when it all comes down to it, having a mass vaccination site where the only thing you're doing is giving vaccines as opposed to checking your A1C or making sure you have a colorectal cancer screening test or addressing your mental health issues. You know, if I'm having to think about vaccine and throughput and everything, I'm therefore distracted from an opportunity cost in dealing with your other issues. So if you can have a mass vaccination site, easy to get to, you drive up, drive out, and it's okay, like that'd be so much easier. And actually would put um, the pressure off the PCP practices to do the work that they were trained to do. Yeah, I, I think obviously down the road, we'll probably see this more incorporated. At the moment uh, where uh, vaccines are scarce, I know in our system, we've been using a lottery system uh, and and following our state rules and so on. Is that something that your patients sort of understand or do you find that there's a lot of frustration with it? Uh, what, how, how are you doing it in your health system and how, how are many people in Pennsylvania, for example? Uh, well, I'll speak to Pennsylvania. I can say that they're, um, although lottery systems have been in use and I think they've been effective within the health systems, um, I can say that not everybody, every pharmacy, every practice, every area, either with my health system or not, are using the same lottery system. For example, you know, I've got people in my family that have immunocompromised states, whereas I know of other people who are 19 with intermittent asthma who got it from their pediatrician. So how does that reconcile? Um, you know, so we are using, we are trying to use health equity to guide us and trying to make sure that, you know, all populations, regardless of race, creed, color, age, background, whatever, um, get the vaccine they need. Um, it's a lot easier to do that when you have an abundance of vaccine. Um, so it makes it more difficult. Yeah, so the um, there's such an emphasis, I think, and, and it's right to get a vaccine in an arm. Uh, that, you know, that's the key. That's how we're going to really try to drive down the numbers of cases even further, try to protect against emergence of variants and so on. Right. So I think there's always this tension of trying to provide a scarce resource to someone that truly needs it versus, you know, you're here, let's give you the vaccine. And, and it's not going to be perfect. And I think uh, some have criticized trying to be so rule following is really slowing down the administration. What, what do you sort of see amongst your staff and so on? Because uh, we're usually not closely checking credentials and these sorts of things. Um, uh, what's your sense from the healthcare staff? Just because I think initially on there's, you know, there are people that are rule followers and there are people that aren't. So um, how are you approaching that if you are at all? No, that's a good question. And I think um, I'm generally a rule follower um, and no vaccine um, gets signed or authorized at my practice without me signing it. So therefore there is not any issue with you know, this person got in or this got on the slide or that kind of stuff. I do look at criteria, make sure they truly are diabetic or over 75 or, you know, meet the CDC criteria um, and then sign the vaccine from there. I think 
um, the staff necessarily haven't been feeling as much angst about that as much as the energy that comes from any time you're putting a shot in arm, you're that much closer to ending this. And I think there's so much, so many people who are just so tired and so burnt out and just so over this that the energy, we were talking earlier about how excited we were when we happened to get a vaccine. I wanna try and take that enjoyment and that feeling of this might be over soon to a patient as well. So they can enjoy that as well. Um, now, I, I, I am coaching people also that getting the vaccine doesn't mean you can hug your neighbor and lick poles and stuff. Like you still have to socially distance while we develop that herd immunity. And I think that's actually been some hard for some people who got the vaccine recently to understand that. Um, but I want to try and just and share that joy that we're all partnering together to end this. Yeah, I, I think, Dr. Hermanson, that's a perfect place to end this segment. Um, there have been so many challenges getting this rolled out. We're certainly getting uh, uh, more comfort and now uh, starting to even see the third vaccine, the Janssen vaccine being right. incorporated. So um, our next segment will be uh, uh, focusing a bit more on uh, what the future might look like and some of those challenges, but really wanted to thank you for your insights on uh, on how uh, practices are handling vaccine administration during the pandemic. Thank you for having me today. Fantastic. Thank you to both of you for your time today. Really appreciate it. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.